Father, we know you're here, and we're honored that you have invited us. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks for being here a lot, and thanks for those who are joining us online. And I do hope you sense the presence of God. That's what this is all about. I guess if you look around, or you'll find all of these would-you-rather books and would-you-rather games and would-you-rather websites. Some of them are pretty funny. Some of them are pretty crude. A lot of guys use them as icebreakers, mind games. And I'm going to ask you a few more. Now, I'm not going to be nearly as techie as Steve and have anything on the board, but and I'm going to have a hard time seeing your hands, but go ahead and just raise your hand, okay? Would you rather go without shampoo for life or go without toothpaste for life? How many of you guys go without shampoo for life? I see a few. How many of you guys go without toothpaste for life? Some of you guys don't vote. You're cheating, okay? You've got to make a choice. Now, I did this with the worship team this morning, and they cheated. They refused to make a choice, okay? How about this one? Would you rather have your shave your head or have your nose pierced? Come on, guys, that's easy. It's easy. Having your head shaved is dashing, I'm told. Would you rather be the ugliest person in the room or the smelliest? How many of you guys would rather be the ugliest? How many would rather be the smelliest? If you guys would just go to the other sanctuary. I appreciate it. Others take a little more thinking. They're kind of hard. Would you rather live in a world with no crime or a world with no privacy? Or would a world with no crime require no privacy and no freedom? How about this one? I'll see hands on this one. How many of you would rather live in a world where everyone ignores you or in a world where everyone is mean to you? How many would rather live in a world where everybody ignores you? How about everyone mean to you? Some of you guys are thinking, that's not a hypothetical, is it? Or this one, would you rather live a, a hundred years more in perfect health, or would you rather age normally? Now, that kind of sounds easy until you start thinking about it. I'm not sure I can stand myself that long. Some of these would-you-rathers are not just mind games. They're just life choices that you face every single day, right? You only have so much time. So would you rather clean the bathroom or do the laundry? How many of you guys would prefer to clean the bathroom? How many of you guys would prefer to do the laundry? How many of you guys just don't vote? Or would you rather spend an hour a day playing with your kids or just get them a PlayStation? Which would your kids want? Which would your kids need? Would you rather go to Walmart, get it today, or go to Amazon and, or get it delivered in two days? <laughs> How many would say Walmart? Yeah. How many Amazon? Yeah. Let's take it a little closer to home. Most of us, I hope, are Jesus followers. There are some of these would-you-rathers that could be targeted directly at us as a church being pushed constantly to take sides on all of these culture wars all around us. Would you rather us make a political point or would you rather us make a spiritual difference? Is it our job to try to force them to behave like Jesus followers should or to try to make them Jesus followers if we can? And you're wondering, is that a choice we have to make? 
or as individual Jesus followers? Would you rather have, personally, and you've got to be honest on this because you're going to lie, would you rather have a great job, great house, great car, great God-honoring kids? Which is more important to you? Would you rather your kids get a great scholarship, great spouse, great job, or have a great faith? What would your kids say your answer would be? Would you personally rather have great physical health and great financial health or great spiritual health? Which would you prefer? Be honest. And can you prove it by showing somebody your calendar, your daily planner, and your checkbook? Or this one. Would you rather have a family that loves you or a boss that loves you? Sounds like an easy question. Right, workaholics? How would your spouse and your kids answer that question for you? Now, some of these would-you-rather questions are pretty easy when one of the options is clearly bad and the other option is clearly good. I mean, would you rather have bacon or broccoli? What idiot would choose broccoli? Right? Don't raise your hands, please. It's a little harder when both of them are bad or both of them are good. Would you rather lose a hand or lose a foot? That takes some thought. Would you rather be the smartest person in the room or the most popular person in the room? A little tougher. But the toughest would you rather questions, I think, are the ones that expose our hypocrisies or the ones that expose our idolatries. Sometimes when we are ruthlessly honest, we'll admit that our actions don't back up our words, right? We'll admit that doing life with God, for God, God's way, is not the most important thing for us, Jesus' followers. And here it is. Here it is, guys. Anytime you put anything in God's place, that thing, whether it's good or bad, becomes an idol. Do you buy that? And we are engaged frequently in forms of idolatry when we take good things and make them God things. And I don't care how good the thing is. Now, we're about halfway through a little study in a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Philippians because it was written to some Jesus followers in a town called Philippi. So we call it Philippians, right? And we're trying to ferret out what the Apostle Paul says about denying the self. Because Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you must deny yourself, forget yourself, take up your cross, do it every day, and follow me. So the Apostle Paul just kind of unpacks what that looks like. And we're going to look at what he says about denying the self. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that the Apostle Paul, who's kind of a hero to most of us, I hope, Apostle Paul had a lot of enemies in the early church. I know it sounds weird. But some of the people, this is kind of brand new, and they said, you're so obsessed with grace. You are so full of grace that you're trivializing sin. And if you, fact is, guys, if you preach grace right, it's going to sound that way. And Paul was obsessed with grace. You know, we're not saved by anything that we do, any good that we can do. We're only saved because of Jesus and what he did for us. It's not about who I am, how much good I can do, how good I am. The only reason I've got any shot at all with God is Jesus. Do you believe that for yourself? But these guys were not just dogging Paul's obsession with grace. They were, 
they were kind of disrespecting Paul because they kind of thought, you're kind of full of yourself. You're not as big as you think you are. You're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as, got as many credentials as you think you do. They were pretty proud of themselves, and they're kind of like, God's lucky to have me on his side, right? You ever see anybody that kind of looks that way? God's lucky to have me. So Paul is like, those guys are missing it. They're clueless. He said, I could have confidence in myself, in my own self, in my own effort, if anybody could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own self, in their own efforts, I've got more. If you want to play that game, I'll play. He says, do you think any of this is about who you are or how good you are or how much you've done? You want to play that game? You want to compare selves? Let's go for it. Apostle Paul could get kind of honor, and he does right here. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, he says, I am a legitimate blue blood. My pedigree, my pedigree, he says, is as good as they come. It's as good as any of yours. Circumcised the eighth day, which is the exact day stipulated by the law, which means I was brought up meticulously right from birth. My family was not one of those Christmas and Easter families. My family did it right. And that kind of stuff still matters to a lot of people. Being in the right family, we think that matters. A lot of people think that who their parents are and who their grandparents are, who their brothers and sisters are, matters to God. By the way, it doesn't. Of all of the people of Israel, he says, possessing... I, I am of, I'm an Israelite to the bone. I possess all of the rights and privileges that belong to one of God's people. Back then, a whole lot of the Jews, and back then even some of the Christians, thought that was huge. We're special. We're chosen. We're one of the chosen ones. We're extra, extra special to God, right? Have you ever heard an American talk like that? I'm an American, right? We're extra special. This is God's country, right? At least that's how a lot of people used to think. We're special to God. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, he says. And that's special too. There were 12 tribes of Israel, each one of them named after one of Jacob's sons or grandsons. Benjamin was the only son of Jacob that was born in the promised land. That was special. Benjamin was the tribe of Israel's first king. That was special. Benjamin's territory included Jerusalem and the temple. That was special. Paul wasn't just of the people of Israel. He was from the right tribe. That was special. You ever think that way? I'm not just an American, guys. I'm an Oregonian, right? I brag about that sometimes. You see me wearing green a lot. Which, for you Kentuckians who don't know Oregon, Oregon is where God did some of his best work, all right? Just telling you. Kentucky's special, too. It is, just not quite as. Here in Kentucky, we do have the cats and bourbon and hot brown and con- the colonel's fried chicken and long rifles and feisty horses and feistier ladies, right? We get proud of our tribe. We think that makes us special. Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he's doing way more than just playing a race card. He's laying down a whole hand of them. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
My family, he probably says, was old school. They spoke the old language. They kept the old ways. They were more concerned about doing life God's way as they understood it than anything that culture would tell them. But all that's about his family. That's just pedigree. That's not what Paul did. It's his parents, his country, his tribe, which mattered to them back then, way more than it should have. Paul says, if you want to see my own resume, it's pretty good too. I was a member of the Pharisees, and they demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was a Pharisee, and I was a good one. Now, most people today who know just a little bit about the Bible don't have much use for the, for the Pharisees because they were legalists, right? And Jesus was pretty hard on them. They, sometimes they cared more about rules than they cared about people, and Jesus went after that, them for that too. But guys, no one is more serious about God than a Pharisee. They were the most passionate, the strictest of the Jews. They made it their goal to identify every single rule that God might have in the Bible and follow every single one of them. So they identified 365 don'ts, do not rules, 248 do's, and their goal was to do all the do's and don't all the don'ts. They wanted to make sure they were meticulous about keeping the law, and that was just the written law. They had the oral law, too, and there were thousands of more laws in their oral traditions, and they tried to follow every single one of them. In other words, Paul says, I'm not just a one-hour, one-day-a-week God follower like some of you guys. I'm 24-7, 52 weeks a year, and I never have ever taken a vacation. And he says, I'm not just going through the motions. I'm so zealous, so passionate for God, so devoted to the purity of God's people that I actually persecuted the church. That's how passionate I am about God. Religion wasn't just a hoppy for me like it is for some of you guys. He says, I'm all in. In fact, this is amazing. He says, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Without fault. Is there anybody in this room who claim that they have followed all of God's rules as they understand them, without fault. Paul says, I did everything, absolutely everything that I believe God wanted me to do. And if he's telling the truth, and no one challenged him, if he's telling the truth, he has a heck of a spiritual resume, doesn't he? Paul says, if you want to play those kind of games, if you want to compare pedigrees and resumes, I can play, and I can win but it is an absolute no-win with God. It's stupid with God. It doesn't impress God. What impresses people, he says, doesn't impress God. The stuff we're so proud of sometimes doesn't matter a hill of beans to God. The things we do that we think should earn us God's favor, they don't. And it's what God thinks that counts, right? It doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter what I think of me. What matters is what God thinks of me, right? So here's where he goes next, and this is huge. And I think we need to hear these words. We need to own this stuff because I think we still mess up on this junk a lot. Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable, my spiritual pedigree and my spiritual resume. I once thought that they were pretty big. And now I consider them worthless because of what Jesus has done. So what happens when you find something way, way better than you've ever had before? 
What do you do? Maybe you've gone through your life eating LTs, right? Lettuce and tomato sandwiches. And you thought they were great till someone introduced you to bacon. Who would ever, ever take an LT over a BLT again, right? How many of you old guys ever used a Polaroid camera? Pretty amazing, right? Now we carry around these little phones. We just used them a few minutes ago. What was once considered amazing and valuable is now considered pretty worthless, right? I had one of the first portable computers ever built, right? A K-Pro 2. It had a 9-inch monochrome screen. It had two 5-and-a-quarter-inch floppy disks. That was amazing. It had two of them. And it had 16, I mean, I'm sorry, 64K of RAM. 64K. I thought that was really pretty amazing. I really did. Now I use a MacBook Pro with dual screens and 16 gig of RAM and a solid-state hard drive. I don't have a clue where that thing is. We used to have all of these VHS players, right? We'd make these trips to these movie stores. It was amazing, we thought. Now we're using these smart TVs and we can stream anything we want to watch. Paul says, I once thought this stuff was valuable. I did. But they're worthless because they're so much better. And the kind of comparisons that I made are just child's play. Paul says, I used to try to offer God my pedigree. I used to try to offer God my resume, which may impress you. They're not going to impress God. And then along comes Jesus. And I discovered that it's not about my family, and it's not about my tribe, it's not about my accomplishments, it's not about my zeal anymore. It's simply about accepting His truth and His grace. My contributions are gratitude, but they earn me nothing from God. Only accepting Jesus does. But it's more than that, Paul says. These things are not only comparatively worthless, they're actually dangerous. Because sometimes we trust in what we do more than what Christ has done. We trust our pedigree more than Jesus. We trust our spiritual resume more than Jesus. We trust in ourselves more than Jesus. But I came from a good family, right? They made sure I was in church a whole lot. It's got to earn me something, right? And I'm still doing all this church stuff. Because I'm working on a nice house in heaven if I can get one. And I'm trying to live pretty much right most of the time. Better than most, God. Surely you can see that, right, God? We think it matters to God. It doesn't. Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable. Listen, I now consider them worthless. Not just less valuable, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. No matter, more than than that, he says, I consider everything a loss, not an asset, but a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all these things that don't matter at all. In fact, he says, I consider them garbage. See, guys, whenever you try to impress God with your pedigree or your resume, you miss grace. You're letting your you get in the way of his grace. It's not about your you. 
It's not about anything you could ever do to impress God. It's about His truth and His grace. It's about surrendering to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the only thing, only thing (laughs) that impresses and earns anything from God. He's God, guys. He's the Creator God, the eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, transcendent God. My family, my tribe, my position, my wealth, my power. You think that's going to impress God? (laughs) It's not going to earn me anything from God. In fact, it gets in the way whenever it prevents me from accepting His grace. Now, the language that Paul uses is actually really, really strong. The NIV says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I don't care. In fact, I consider them garbage. Consider them garbage. That's such a sweet word in English. In Greek, it's the word skubalon. You look up skubalon, and it can mean garbage. But that's down the way a little bit in the definitions. It actually is used more for dung or excrement or manure or crap. The best you've got, Paul says, isn't going to impress God any more than what you leave in the toilet if you diss his son. Because his son is what it's all about. Hmm. Kind of change our perspective on a lot of things if we really bought that, right? And if that's our number one priority, if it really is, how does that affect the choices we make every single day? Let me give you a few more would-you-rathers. Would you rather be driven by a political agenda... Would you rather deal with people based on your political agenda? Or would you rather be driven by an obsession with sharing God's grace and His truth? Because you're going to have to make a choice. Would you rather be driven by what you like, by what serves you, or by what He likes and what serves Him? What does denying self mean to you? Would you rather hang on to your anger and your unforgiveness or would you rather taste peace with God which is going to require letting go of your anger and unforgiveness. It's going to require liberal doses of both magnanimity and grace. Does your peace with Him mean more to you than your anger at them? Would you rather fixate on what's wrong with people around you or fixate on the good that God pours out on you every single day? Because Christians who go around grumpy are missing the point. Our lives are supposed to be marked by gratitude. Let's play some more would-you-rathers. For us guys who are old, would you rather coast to the finish as a Jesus follower, or would you rather keep on looking for ways to serve Him and serve them? Because for a Jesus follower, is there really such a thing as retirement? And there's always going to be denying of self in some fashion, isn't there? Parents. Would you rather your kid stand before God with a great body, great friends, great spouse, great resume, and a healthy 401k, or with a profound trust in Jesus? And if you believe that, what are you doing to make it happen? Grandparents. 
Would you rather your grandkids stand before God with great friends, great families, great jobs, great kids, because grandkids are way better than kids, right? Or would you rather your grandkids stand before God with a profound trust in Jesus? And what are you doing to convince your grandkid that that is infinitely more important than anything else? All of us, guys. Would you rather stand before God with an amazing resume, a healthy 401k, and a great body, a great house, a great reputation, or with a profound trust in Jesus? Be honest. Because we're all going to stand before God someday. And what happens on that day is going to determine our eternity. Do you believe that? It's about denying self, denying self. We used this diagram a few weeks ago. How so often that S, which represents the self, is what's sitting on the throne of our life instead of Christ, which is represented by the cross. What's on the throne in your heart? Yourself on the throne or is Christ on the throne? And what we said is this. When you give Jesus his rightful place, everything else starts coming into, into perspective, right? All of a sudden you start getting inklings of contentment. You begin to discover what contentment feels like what peace feels like, what joy feels like. You begin to sense some courage. And you know I'm right, right? You agree. You know Paul's right. You know it. You know what God values. And you understand that what God values often clashes with what we value. And you know that whenever we clash with God, we mess up. And we settle for less. So what are we going to do about it? You're right, preacher. Stepped on my toes today. Go out with a little bit of spiritual catharsis and go out and do the same. Or will you allow yourself to respond to the nudges of God's Spirit? Because doing life with God, for God, God's way is the only way to experience a genuinely abundant life. Do you believe that? I do. I'm going to give you a chance to respond in a couple of different ways here right now, guys. In a moment here, I'm going to invite you all to these tables. This is for people who want Jesus to be the Lord of their life, want to accept His grace. I mean, that's a what better symbol of grace than... Uh, broken body and the shed blood of Jesus that we share in to remind ourselves of His grace every single week. We're going to share in His grace and, and it may be that you can't come to the table because He's not the king of your life, but you want Him to be. If you want Him to be the king of your life, instead of going to the table, I'm going to sit right down there in the front row. We've got an elder praying for you right now back in that prayer room. Slip to one of those two places. Let's talk about making Jesus Christ the king of your life right here, right now. That's one way to respond. It may be that you just have been drifting. You need a church home, and you might want to choose this as your church home. That's cool. If not Capital City, make sure that you find a God-honoring church and you make it your home because we're not made to do this thing alone, right? So respond. And then for all of us who are Jesus followers, this is a time to come to this table. We thank Him for His grace, and we recommit ourselves to Him as Jesus followers. Jesus I want you to be the king of my life. Not only my savior, represented by that blood and that, and that body that was broken for us, but I want you to be my Lord. Would you pray with me, please?
Father, for Jesus, we give you thanks. For your incredible grace, we give you thanks. Help us to have the courage to be Jesus' followers, not just admirers, but followers. In his name we pray, amen.